Good to be with you today. And um, yeah, quick survey to get us rolling here. Okay, how many of you think life is pretty much a cakewalk? Easy, right? You can kind of, it's kind of a skip through the park. Anybody? Okay, we got maybe one or two in the house. I don't know. Okay, how many on the other hand think, you know what, life is really full of obstacles, right? It's got many challenges that we have to face and can be hard at times. Raise your hand. Okay, so pretty much we all agree, more or less. You raise your hand on easy and hard, but okay. He raised his hand twice. I saw you. Um, but no, I mean, life does have difficulties, right? And, um, and isn't it awesome that I just got us to agree on something, right? An entire room of 100 whatever people, right? It's hard to do in our day and age. Anyhow, um, we, ha- we have hardships, and, and they're, they're in a variety of forms in our lives, all of us, right? They come and go in different seasons, and, and maybe they're they're a, a breakup, or maybe it's an illness, or some loss, or abandonment, or, or some other kind of suffering in your life. For us, the name has been the last five years, autism. And our journey began about five years ago when our now seven-year-old son Holden was diagnosed with autism. His diagnosis has led to, as you can imagine, uh, life-altering sort of things and implications for our family, for our whole family. And Holden, on the one hand, is an incredible blessing. He's a gift, and we love him more than you could possibly know. But the emotional and the cognitive challenges that come with autism are not only daily, but especially in our case, they're severe. There's sorrow and anxiety that come with this suffering, and, and quite frankly, it comes with, you know, different in various forms, it comes with suffering as a whole, and it's why we kind of dread this idea of suffering, hardship, heartache. But those kind of things are the easy parts to identify, and the beauty and the growth that suffering brings, right, is just as real. They're a little bit harder to identify, but I believe they're truly much more powerful. And so this morning, I, I want to share from my heart about the beauty and the growth that's existed and emerged on this journey. I want to share really what God has been doing in my life the last several years as we've gone on this journey of really different doses of daily suffering. And there's not really a better chapter in the Bible than Psalm 23. It's, it's the most famous of all the Psalms that, that I want to sort of you know, anchor everything in. And, and this is the psalm that you perhaps have heard at a funeral, or it's the psalm that gets read at the bedside table, right, when someone is near the end. And it's for good reason, because it, it brings comfort to people who are in anguish. And there's a number of truths that are embedded only, you know, not only in this passage, but, but have been true in my life in terms of how God is shaping me and learning. And the first one is this, it's reflected in the psalm. Although God doesn't say yes to all my prayers, he will provide what I need. And I know in, at first glance, you know, th- this verse kind of seems like a, a contradiction here because in, in verse 1 of Psalm 23, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, or I shall not be in want, or I'm not left wanting, depending on which translation you read. And though there seems to be a contradiction there, let me explain and unwrap that a little bit. Because Sherry and I, we, we have prayed so many times that God would heal Holden. And it hasn't happened. Perhaps you've prayed for healing or rescue or something like that in your own life, and it hasn't happened. So how does that idea sync up with the truth that we just read in, in, in this psalm, that we shall not be in want, that God provides all that we need? Because the truth of the matter is, we all know this to be true, that life doesn't make sense sometimes. 
And it's confusing and it seems unfair. And, and we pray for something time and time again and then it doesn't happen. And when we read through the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, we see this reality and this sort of tension over and over. Our oldest son, Hudson, who's eight and a half, uh, he, he, he asks like deep questions sometimes. Sometimes I don't know how to answer him. And we try to guide him and, you know, respond to him in such in a way that makes sense to him. And, and when you think about a kid... You know, when, when he hears that God answers prayer and he learns about this good and heavenly father and then he prays a prayer and then God doesn't answer, as you could imagine for an eight-year-old kid, it's a little bit confusing. It maybe even seems unfair at times. Why didn't God do this? I thought he answered prayer. I thought he was good. Wouldn't he do this? And so we're in this conversation with Hudson at times and we go to the great theologian, Garth Brooks. And we tell him that he has a song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. And, and the biggest thing in a kid's world, pretty much any kid, is, is their parents. And so we tell Hudson that mom and dad both dated someone else many years ago and that we both, you know, wanted and prayed for, right, to marry this other person. And we got the answer from God, no, didn't answer our prayers. And we were like, woe is me, I can't live another day, you know, pretty much something like that, right? But, but we tell Hudson when God said no... At that time, it was hard. It was confusing. It didn't make sense. Why God, right? Why, why this heartbreak? Why this heartache, you know, sort of thing in that moment? And yet now we look back on that, we have a different perspective. And we start breaking this down with Hudson. And we tell him, look, this is, you know, a God who has the bigger picture that we don't always have. And eventually, of course, Sherry and I came together. We dated. We got married. Here we are. And we tell Hudson, you know, without unanswered prayers, Mom and dad wouldn't be married, and you wouldn't exist. You go, oh, okay, okay, all right, I'm going to go play basketball now, you know, kind of moment. So, and, you know, it gives you, you know, it's kind of a funny way, but it gives you perspective when you think of it like that, and it cuts to this truth. And unanswered prayers, we all probably know this to one degree or another, they can be painful in the moment or in the season. And trust me, I've experienced that myself. I've prayed so many prayers for our little guy Holden, I've prayed that God would heal him. I've longed for it so badly. God, catch him up to all the little boys his age. God, remove his disability, his neurological impairment. God, I pray you would just tell, you know, I've cried out to God. And many people, even in our community and beyond, have actually prayed those prayers, even prayed for me, prayed for Holden. And Sherry, on, Sherry and I on many occasions have, have um, referenced a passage in the Gospel of John that talks about the man who was born blind. And, and the thought there in the text is that the man was born blind because of his parents' sins. And Jesus basically, in summation, that passage, Jesus says toward the end of that passage, the man was born blind so the work of God might be displayed in his life. And man, I've prayed that the work of God would be displayed, hoping for a miracle and a healing, and still do. And yet at the same time, as we've prayed and, and God hasn't answered the way we've wanted, he's answered in all different other ways. And I'm learning to thank God for unanswered prayers, truly and honestly. I'm learning to trust God, that he is good, that he sees the bigger picture. And though I don't understand, I'm going to keep walking forward in it by faith. Because the truth of the matter is we, as human beings, all of us, we're short-sighted. We're limited in our view. We're tempted even to make decisions in the moment that feel good or ease our pain rather than do what is just or righteous sometimes or do what serves the better, you know, serves the greater good. And, and basically we're saying, God, I'm glad you're in charge and not us when we do this. 
Because I'm trusting that your wisdom and purpose is greater than my own wisdom and purpose. That your ways and your thoughts, as Isaiah says, are greater and higher than my ways and my thoughts. So I'm living in this learning about unanswered prayers, and I'm seeing how God provides for our needs in the here and now, even if these things come in unexpected ways. So we're sitting in the midst of hardships in life. We're waiting. We have fears. We have struggles. We have anxieties, all these, you know, challenges and uncertainties, and we certainly have all that withholding his life and the implications for our family. We live in that. And yet God, who hasn't at least yet provided healing, But there's so many ways he's provided, practical and concrete ways, physical ways, there's spiritual, emotional, relational ways. I mean, one of the ways God has provided in this season of life is in a word, flexibility. Of course, you know, I'm a pastor here at Awakening, and and Ryan is thus my boss, and and our family is... um, is not typical, and so we can't necessarily do normal family, normal things that normal families do, you know, even like dropping off kids and, you know, going to restaurants and these such things. So this past week, I get a text message that kind of captures this idea of, of how Ryan is giving me flexibility, and so Sherry's, um, you know, picking up Hudson, our oldest son, uh, at camp, and basically she writes this text because she has Holden with her. It's in the middle of the day, and she says, drop off was awful. Literally could not get Holden inside. He took off running. It's a miracle I got him in the car. He was crying, running, flopping like it was scary because the parking lot was full of cars. She says, I'm praying he doesn't do this on the airport or the plane. Had to lock him in the car and take Hudson in. I got back to the car and I was sobbing. And that's just a little glimpse of my wife's day-to-day life, quite honestly. And yet, you know, I, I am actually at lunch with Ryan in that moment when I read the text, right? I tear up myself and I share that with Ryan. And he says, the rest of the week, man, you're getting Hudson. And it's like instant reaction. And this is how he's been for two and a half years with me and working with this. And it's like God has provided. What boss can you go to and ask if you can leave during the middle of a day and go pick up your son? Not many, don't think. Another way God has provided is our house. I mean, holding. Many of you don't know him, but he feels very trapped in confined spaces, so he needs space, you know, which is, of course, a challenge in the Bay Area, but he, he just does way better in open spaces. And so, and so when you, where, where do you get a big house in the Silicon Valley on a single-family pastor's income? You guys want to know the answer, don't you? <laughs> well, God provided one right across the street from our longtime friend six years ago. Little did we know this part of the house, the master bedroom, has a side entrance, kind of its own entrance. And about three years in, as our rent went up and we had more financial implications and burdens, right, we had to get a housemate and she moved in and she's been a blessing to us. And so she lived in that space so we could afford and stay where we were living. And, and example after example follows that. And there's also the emotional, the spiritual, the relational needs. I mean, God provided, this one's hard to articulate, but emotional strength for us. We can't explain it. Yes, we've had our tears, we've had our meltdowns, but God has given us this strength in our weakness and in our limitation that we just feel and sense. And you know when you go through something in life and you look back and you go, how did I make it? We have felt that on many occasions in this journey. And then God also provided an amazing older brother. Some of you know Hudson, who is an extremely empathetic and patient little kid. And not all kids are wired that way. You know, I mean, it could have gone very differently. But Hudson is one of the most sensitive souls you can meet. And God has used him in more ways than you could, you know, imagine. 
to serve Holden and care for Holden in this journey. And, and then our marriage, I mean, Sherry and I both would say we are stronger in our marriage than ever before. It's brought us together. It's unified us. And quite honestly, even knowing other families with special needs situations, I mean, there are marriages that get torn apart. You may know some. There's, there's, there's a lot of stress that is infused into the situation. And so we're just grateful because God has made us stronger and he's brought a sense of unity and togetherness that to us is undeniable in this journey. It's given us a solid foundation and really the strength to survive and overcome the long and hard journey that is both behind us but also ahead of us. We're learning to live with these things in sight because I think in life in general, it's easy to get blinded. It's easy to focus on what you don't have and, and, and not focus on what you do have. And God has taken care of us so much. It's in ways that we didn't expect or even know we needed. It's many times through people that are all around us, including some of you. And I think it's the journey a lot of us are on, especially when we're in a hard season or a hard moment, to really see what is God doing? How is he taking care of me? I love the next verse in this text in Psalm 23. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul or renews my strength. And that little beside quiet waters, sheep don't like to go to rushing waters. They want the water calm. And so the shepherd has to guide the sheep to the calm water so they can drink or they won't drink. And we felt so, much, so many times in, in the chaos of life. And, and, and God has led us, the good shepherd, Right, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. That he's laid his life down. That he's guided us to that, that place to drink. And, and then this word green pastures, there's this great Bible sort of scholar that studies you know, Israel and the Middle East and, and where this context would have taken place named Ray Vanderlaan. And he talks about in that region, it rarely rains in the wilderness at least, right? Where these deep, you know, where these sorry, sheep lived in the culture where Psalm 23 was written. So in Israel, the sheep are pastured in the desert, something like this, if you can see that image, right? Sheep are walking through sort of a desert land rather than farmlands because the thought is farmlands are too precious for these sheep, right? So we're going to, you know, put them out in, 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 th- in these deserts, essentially. And instead, right, the shepherd leads the sheep into these fields. So, because we imagine sort of green pastures as this plush green field, I don't know, full of alfalfa everywhere or something like that, right? Sort of what we read into that. But green pastures is a different deal. Each morning in that, you know, region of life, there's, there's a sea breeze. So it doesn't rain very much, but the sea breeze comes in, blows a little bit of water, lands on the rocks, and little sprouts of grass, like this next picture, pop up. Right, we went up close. So it's not this plush green field. It's just a very small amount of vegetation, just a little bit each day. So green pastures is not a reference to acres of plush green meadows. Rather, it's a small amount of grass that the shepherd leads the sheep to on a daily basis to have just barely enough for that day. And the sheep can't find it without the shepherd. And I mean, doesn't that give you just an entirely different perspective on God's grace and provision and promise even? Matthew 6, Jesus says these words that relate. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So for the people of the desert, this made perfect sense, right? What, what, what's being said here. We want pasture, all of us as humans, we want pasture, we want barns, we, we want abundance, we want tall grass, we want to store up enough for years and years, much less days and weeks. And yet Jesus says that God will take care of today, today. 
And that tomorrow will be dealt with tomorrow. It's really the same idea of manna in the Old Testament, where God provides manna for that day, and they try to save, the people of Israel try to save enough for the next day, and what happens, it spoils. And then God shows up the next day, because when you get to tomorrow, God is going to be there for tomorrow for you to provide what you need. And so Psalm 23 is saying to us, you won't get what you need for a moment until the moment arrives. And we're learning to live in that, learning to trust God in that. I'm learning that that God promises to lead us simply to a small patch of grass for that day, for that moment. And that is enough. Sometimes it has to be enough. Because he wants to teach us to walk near to him and to trust him every single day. There's another thing that's been shaping me and and, and changing really who I am becoming. And it's this truth. In the pain and struggle, God does his deepest work. I know we don't want this. Nobody really welcomes this, I don't think. But verse 3 says, he refreshes my soul, he renews my strength. And the verb there used in the original Hebrew can also be translated and is in other places, but it says to revive or rebuild or to make one whole again. And that's the journey God has all of us on if we will go to it and on it, to make us whole again, to restore us into the image of Christ that he originally created us to be, to make us whole in Jesus. And God uses different tools along the way to do that, to shape us. He, he uses the hammer and the chisel, and that sort of comes in different forms. Of course, in relationships in our lives it comes, in spiritual practices, things like prayer and scripture intake. And right in the midst of all that, in the center of it, is the Holy Spirit doing his work to accomplish his purpose in our lives and through our lives. But I'm learning that one of the most important tools that God uses to transform us and make us whole again is pain and struggle. And I know a lot of us know this. I I know this theologically, right? Because you can read the Bible and you discover that every character in the Bible had their character forged in the fire. And yet when you find yourself in the fire, it's a whole different thing. And I don't like it, and I wouldn't expect or suggest that you like it or welcome it. But I know for me, I can't deny that I have seen so much good in the midst of the pain and the struggle. That I have seen God do a deeper work through the challenges that we're facing. And both Sherry and I would tell you that we have become a little bit more like Christ through the process. You know, uh, if you grill a steak, for those who, you know, cook a steak and like steak, you know, you, you throw, a, this doesn't take a, you know, scientist to figure this out, but you throw, you throw like some seasoning on the steak and it, you know, tastes better. Well, it could taste worse, but it's supposed to taste better, right? Or you throw a good marinade, you throw the steak in a good marinade, marinade for a while, it's going to taste better, you know. But if you really want to make a good steak, some of you know what you need to do. You, you take that piece of meat and you got to tenderize it. You, you got to, you know, put it through some affliction, basically, right? And sear it on a high temperature as well. And that's what it takes to tenderize the steak. And and it's just kind of an example to say, this is our hearts too. And I'm seeing my heart get softened behind a little bit of seasoning that sometimes we just kind of want that in life, or a little bit of marinade to change the flavor of life or or to go through our suffering or something like that. But, But God wants to tenderize our heart in a way that looks more like him. And oftentimes it takes affliction and pain and suffering. And that's the deeper, more tenderizing work of God that has to happen if you're going to become everything that God made you to be. I know we don't like it, 
Paul, who was well acquainted with pain and struggle, he wrote this in Romans. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame or hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Paul knew that those who are in most need of the hope of God are also most able to receive it. I'm learning to call, I'm learning that in my call to be a disciple of Jesus, that this deeper work that gets done when things are painful and hard, that it's one of the most significant parts of the story that God is writing in my life and on my heart. And I don't know for any in the room who perhaps are even in that pain and struggle now, I'm not saying you should have, I'm not saying you should like it, but I urge you to consider not wasting it. And I'm seeing God work in the ways that, that, that are unwelcomed circumstances, yet at the same time, he's doing his deepest work. It's one of the most important things God uses to make us more like him. And man, that's a hard one to learn. And I know there's more ahead. But I believe that God is good, that he is trustworthy in the process. Another thing I'm learning is this, that, that God will guide you down the right path, but in his timing and for his honor. That second part of verse 3, he guides me along the right path, bringing honor to his name. I'm learning that God can be trusted to guide our lives and that he always has a greater purpose. He always has a greater purpose than what we see. I'm learning that no matter where life leads me, that God is always right beside me. That God has a greater mission, and it's a great joy and privilege that he invites us, you and me both, to be part of that. He does, his desire is to work in you and work through you to accomplish his plan in human history and a specific purpose in your life. And sometimes that's hard to trust, especially when things are difficult. I know a lot of you know the story of why Sherry and I uh, are deciding and choosing to move to South Florida, in case anybody's wondering, the West Palm Beach area. And it happened about a year ago when we started, this conversation started bubbling up and all the different challenges we're facing. And the short of it, it's really all driven because our youngest son and getting his needs taken care of in a better way. And so it's been a long process and lots of prayer and wise counsel and those sort of things. But all these things started clustering around this. We'd never thought about Florida or West Palm Beach, you know, and, and about a year ago, things started to all kind of point that way. From my parents retiring there to a, a school there that specialized for autism that we sort of know a friend of a friend that's part of, and, and all these different things. A good friend, uh, friends of the family moved there, which is Hudson's best friend in that family unit, and also a family who really loves and takes care of our youngest son, Holden, more than any family that we know. And so all these things, and we just saw God's guidance, and it just became clearer and clearer along the way. And we've learned and relearned, and might have to relearn again, that God wants our best. And that sometimes it's an unexpected thing, or even initially it's something that you, know, you don't want. But God, who's the good shepherd, wants to steer your life. But we have to let him. Because we sometimes want the good of the good shepherd, but we don't let God lead our life. 
And the goal for him is to steer you in the right direction because he wants the best for your life, no matter where that would lead you. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And then it says, he will show you which path to take. Pray those verses. Write them on a note card. Keep them in front of you. If you need guidance and believe that his understanding and his will are greater than your own understanding because you're limited and greater than your own will even because he wants the best for your life no matter where it takes you, his will, not your own. I'm learning that. Something else I'm learning is this, that we experience God most in places we like to go least. Man, this is a hard one. These are the verses most of you probably know. Even though, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or through the darkest valley, you could say, I will not be overcome by fear. I will fear no evil, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me or comfort me. David is not simply speaking about God. He is speaking to God, notice. And in Hebrew, the the term shadow of death is just one word. And it doesn't mean just the time immediately preceding death, which is often the case. The literal translation is deep darkness. There are many different examples throughout Scripture of of this word, of this phrase in our case. But when we read the valley of the shadow of death or through the darkest valley, we discover through the various uses in Scripture that it's a rich phrase that encompasses all of of life's dark, difficult, and at times overwhelming circumstances. It's a broad term in that sense, but a term rich with meaning. And and we come across Psalm 23 as, as many of the Psalms are written by this guy, David. We know a lot about David from the Bible. We know he was a shepherd. And I don't know what you picture or what your first impression is about this psalm, but David, you know, didn't live anything close to a serene kind of life. I don't know if you're picturing him in the fields with a sheep listening to Enya or what you're picturing, but, but this wasn't David's life. After killing Goliath, David's rise to prominence enraged this insecure and arguably insane King Saul. He literally stalked David. David was forced to live as a fugitive. You might know this part of the story. And he narrowly escaped multiple assassination attempts. David was also no stranger to crushing grief. Jonathan, his most trusted friend, was killed along with Saul in battle. David lost an infant son. He lost a grown son to death. And David knew shame and regret. He not only committed adultery, he engaged in an elaborate cover-up scheme. And when that didn't work in desperation, he caused the offended husband to be killed, Uriah. Confronted then by Nathan the prophet, David finally repented, although it was a horrible stain on his public and private reputation. David had daily pressures as well from his, politi- from his role as political and military leader of a nation. His kingdom was threatened by civil war. He was forced to run for his life. His pain was multiplied because his very own son, Absalom, led the rebellion. And on and on it goes with David. The unvarnished emotions accompanying life's ups and downs flow through David's many psalms. Psalm 6, for example, he says, I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping. Psalm 31 says, be merciful to me. David writes, O Lord, for I am in distress. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Psalm 69, 13, answer me with your sure salvation, God. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Against this landscape, one punctuated by pressure, opposition, fear, guilt, uncertainty, David confidently asserts, the Lord is my shepherd. 
The Lord is my shepherd. And he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be overcome by fear. David went through so much turmoil. He was a man entrenched in personal and national uncertainties. But nothing he went through, nothing he went through could prevail against the powerful grace of God. And what David went through is far more challenging than what Sherry and I go through. Hear me. Yet, Sherry and I can relate to this because what he, what's going on and what we see in the Psalms in, in David's heart and his mind and his soul, we feel some of that. We go through some of that. There are days, there are moments right, that are dark, that are hard, that are difficult, that, that are full of heartache even and sad. There, there are days when we think, how long do we have to do this? Is Holden ever going to get better? I mean, how much can we take? Will it ever go away? Is this ever going to get easier? Is this how my life is going to be? Sherry wonders for the next 15 years, and the questions go on. But along the way, Sherry and I have both seen our relationship with God grow in exponential ways. It's grown so much deeper. It's places that we don't want to go, right? We want to go least, but God seems to do the most. And so we hold on to those, yes, we can't wait to get on the other side like anybody but man, God is at work. And we've experienced the reality of God right there beside us through the valley. And David says that, though I walk through the valley. It doesn't say we die there or stop there. It says we walk through the valley with him. We're travelers. We're not vacationers. We're travelers. And that's the journey that we have been on, that we've been walking through the valley. Because intimacy and connection with God, we sometimes think of it as like mountaintop experiences. But I know in my life and in so many others, man, it's through the valley where you connect with God and are changed by God the most because he is there and our awareness goes way up and he is good and he is trustworthy and he's right there beside you no matter what you go through. And if you're in that today, I'm in that with you. And I tell you from my heart to yours, he's with you. He promises to be with you. He promises never to leave you. He promises to comfort you. Even in this text, we see that, to comfort you and to walk with you through the valleys. And when you're in it, and when you experience it, that truth becomes so real to you. And God becomes so real to you. There's another deep truth that God has been teaching me, and it's this, that the value of a human being has nothing to do with their abilities. This is a hard one to get, I think, as human beings. For whatever reason, since I was a kid, I, I had this drive, like probably a lot of you, to, to succeed, to achieve things, to accomplish things, strive for that. And I found myself on, you know, all-star teams or near the top of my class or those sorts of things. And, and I don't know where Holden will end up. But doctors would tell you and project that it won't be at the top of his class. What I do know is this, though. Was I sit with Holden. And I wrap my arms around him. I feel close to God. And more than that, I know in that moment, it's hard to explain it, but I know that he is great. He is valuable in the kingdom, not because of what he's done or will do, but because of who he is. Because God made him. God loves him. And so much of the, the grief I've had to go through in regards to Holden is because my dreams 
My ideas of, of, of like what would happen in or, or even through my son's life are not the same dreams and ideas that God had in mind. And that's hard to get your mind around, at least for me. But I'm learning in the process to look at life differently. Look at people differently. Less like the world and more like God. And it's shaping me in ways I, I find it hard to even articulate. It's shaping my understanding of unconditional love and how powerful that can be. I mean, for years, you know, six years plus, right, I sat with my son who I love more than I can tell you and would tell him I love you, would hug him and all that, and I get nothing back. And that's hard, right? And we live in a world that love is given, it's sort of an exchange, right? It's sort of how we work in human terms. I mean, God loves you unconditionally. And God is teaching me to love this little kid, which is just blows from me. But it's like God is teaching me about unconditional love. And that we love because Holden's Holden. And we love because a human being is a human being. And God made them and they're his greatest treasure. And man, if we could get that truth, it would change how we live. It would change how we treat people, how we see people, how we relate to people. Would change our essence. I think that's what God wants. One final truth that I have been learning is this is in the midst of life's challenges, God's love and goodness will follow you always. Will always follow you. David says it like this you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. All right, when when everything else around you is like not for you, that's against you. And we have felt that at times, right? The world doesn't orient themselves toward our challenges, right? It says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Despite of that, right? My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love or your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Or, or otherwise translated, will chase after me relentlessly. Will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the midst of the many challenges in our lives, our hearts, Sherry and I, overflow with joy and gratitude. For Holden, and the gift he is, a, a mentor of mine told me one day, he said, Holden will be your greatest mentor. And man, does that ring true. It runs deep. Because I've learned so much in the journey from him. But here's the thing. For us, the pain has not won the day. For our family, there is great joy. There is great gratitude. There's struggle. There's challenge, right? There's all that. But joy wins the day. Gratitude wins the day. I mean, there's so many little moments in the everyday, you know, our everyday world. I mean, I, I never forget Holden's first word. You know what he said? He said pizza. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to say pizza for their first word, right? I want pizza. We all want pizza. Lots of it, right? But, but he said pizza one day. We were just like, whoa. You know, and we're like, of course, God, I'm like 19 pieces of pizza, you know? <laughs> and man, we put on this bubble machine, right? And lights up, you know, bubbles everywhere, right? And Holden's running through our backyard, right? Just smiling, glowing, right? And it's like when Holden smiles, man, it lights up a room. Lights up a room, man. And there's so many other examples. I mean, I mean, we, we say to him now, Holden, kisses, right? We bend down and he'll put his little cheek out, right? And let me kiss him. And then he'll go, 
whoosh, <laughs> you know, wipe it off. Yeah, you don't like that. Okay, but thank you. <laughs> and Holden brings great joy in the midst of all this. There's great joy. We've experienced joy in the midst of difficult things, and we go, it's only because of God. It's the way God's provided and who God is and what he's given us. And we have needed this love and goodness and mercy that, that, that the psalmist says pursues you, follows you, chases after you. We've needed that along the way. It's the joy, it's the gratitude, it's the goodness that wells up in our hearts. And part of that goodness and part of the way God has chased after us with it is awakening. And we've been here two and a half years and we have gone through many ups and downs and challenges, but man, awakening has been the steady community of love and goodness and grace and mercy and so many other good things. And God has used you far more than you know. I know some of you are newer, and man, if you're newer, this place is special. We have felt that. We've experienced that. We know that firsthand. I think as a parent of a special needs child, we have a fear that no one will see our child, that they will be invisible to the world around them. That, that, that no one will show up for you. No one will see what you need. But man, those who have loved Holden and us collectively, man, you're pure gold. I promise you. And we have felt that from so many of you. I thank you for it. Sorry. Because when you see a kid or a person, right, with special needs, when you see them and you show them love, it reminds us that in God's eyes, the greatest and most important person in any room is a person who, in, in the world's eyes, right, they consider least. An awakening, man, you have, you have showed up for us. In so many ways, with so many prayers and so much irrational love, you've extended us mercy and grace and goodness. And God has used you as a conduit through his goodness and love and mercy that is chased after us. And we've needed it more than you know. And I know our, our time together is ending in its own way. But man, just as David in this text looks ahead in this psalm and he knows, right, that one day it's going to be different. That we'll unite in heaven. And we look ahead. We, are, we look ahead as our family. I mean, we'll be back to awakening, right? It, it's sort of a see you later. But, but, but in the eternal perspective of things, right, life can perplex us sometimes. But one day it will all become clear. One day we'll look back and we'll see more than ever before God's goodness and love and mercy that has always been there and always been following after us. As Revelation in the end book of the Bible says, chapter 7, for the Lamb, Jesus, who is in the midst of, of the throne, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's an invitation to every one of us, today and every day, Forever. There's an invitation to seek to get to know God, the creator and sustainer of all life, to know his love, to experience the depth and breadth and height and width of his love, 
And as Paul says in Ephesians 3, that that would strengthen our inner being. I've been strengthened. We've been strengthened as a family by God's love, but much of God's love has come through you, and I'm just grateful for you. I'm going to call Gabe and Jess back up for a final song. But, but, but one day, as David says, we're going to dwell in the house forever. There will be no more tears or pain or suffering. And I don't know where you are. Some of you are in a good season. Things are going pretty well, which is amazing, awesome, grateful. Some of you are in a hard season. You have stresses and challenges and anxieties and fears. You're going through something. And, and, and the good shepherd says, will you let me shepherd you? He doesn't promise to take it away. But he promises to be there right beside you the whole way. To comfort you and strengthen you. But you got to lean on him. And what I would just say finally to, to you as a community collectively is keep on doing good. Keep on loving people. Irrationally. Keep on extending mercy. Keep on sharing the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to die for you and loves you like you could never imagine. Because people matter. Their stories matter. Their heartaches matter. Love one another in the hardships of life and extend that to the world around you. That's what reflects Christ to the world when we're different. And it's through the hard things in life. I, I, I know this right now firsthand. It's through the hard things in life that God seems to transform us the most. There is joy and goodness and love no matter how hard things are. But you got to open your eyes. You got to see it. You got to receive it. And you got to cling to the God who loves you and is right beside you. Will you bow with me for a moment in prayer? God, we thank you for your goodness, for your love, and for your grace. And God, we even thank you for pain and struggle and hardship in that you work deeply. I pray that you would bring joy and gratitude to people's hearts today. And for that person who's struggling, who's going through something, you see it, God. You see them. You see them. May they know your love. And may your love strengthen their inner being like they never could possibly imagine. I pray this in Christ's name.